Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Christ, you are our firm foundation. And as we open up your word, um, exploring what you did thousands of years ago on this Palm Sunday. Pray that you would open our hearts, you'd open our minds, our souls, our ears to hear the word that you have for us today. So come Holy Spirit, come. Would you lead us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever had a conversation with someone thinking it went one way uh, when they thought, and they thought it went a completely other way? (laughs) Uh, Like, for example, I remember uh, wanting to do renovations on our kitchen uh, back at our house that we lived on the north side years ago. Uh, It was an original kitchen. We wanted to update it. It's a 1958 bungalow. So in talking to the general contractor, I thought he said it would take one month. Uh, It ended up taking more than three. (laughs) I ended up actually grouting the backsplash because I couldn't handle it anymore and I just wanted the project to be done. Has something like that ever happened to you? Uh, or maybe it was after a meeting. Uh, you were in a meeting with a bunch of people and, and at the end of it, uh, your coworker thought it was your role to talk to Cheryl and debrief her after the meeting and, and you thought it was one of your coworkers' responsibilities to talk to Cheryl after the meeting and, and in the end, no one followed up with Cheryl, so now Cheryl doesn't have a job, way to go. I thought that was funny. <laughs> uh, something like that ever happened to you or there's just a, a miscommunication or how about this? Um, I was at the game a couple weeks ago with our, our guest speaker, Steve Carter. We were gifted the tickets. Uh, and you see four different people. We didn't, we didn't, the guy behind us, I don't know who he is. Uh, but he was having a fun time. Uh, I think it's because his wife took his kids somewhere else. So he was like, I can finally enjoy the game. Uh, the guy next to Steve, Matt, uh, his friend, I think he was happy because uh, he had brought these troll hair things that we refused to wear. Uh, he was wearing them all game and, and we, we were like, okay, you know what, let's put them on for the picture. Uh, so I think he was happy because we finally put them on. Uh, and I think it was also funny because he brought his kid's jersey for Steve to wear. That's why it looks, it looks so tight on him. Uh, Steve looks unimpressed. And it's not because of the jersey. Uh, honestly, he, all he wanted to do was see McDavid score. McDavid did score. Uh, he didn't, I don't think he really cared who won. He just wanted to see McDavid. Uh, and for me, I was having so much fun because we beat the Sens 6-3. It was a great game. And all the Sens fans in the stands, you know, they were having a completely different experience than us four here, right? I think about it, right? If there's a group of people, you know, however small or however large, don't you find that there are as many different perspectives as there are people? I guess, you know, the majority of people were cheering for the Oilers. Uh, and I mean, yes. And, and in a sense, we were all kind of on the same page. But still, everyone, even on that picture, we all had something different in mind. There's many different perspectives as there are people. And that's what I want to unpack with you today. In Mark chapter 11, we see this interaction in, um, on, on what we now call Palm Sunday. And there are actually three different 
perspectives going on here. The disciples have, are seeing this happen through one lens. The, the religious leaders are seeing this through another lens and Jesus sees this through a third. So, so I wanna read the scripture with you and, and unpack what this looks like in the three different perspectives. Okay, so Mark 11, verse one. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives. I'm just gonna pause there because that's a lot of locations and a lot of places. And I wanna give you a sense as to where we're at right now in the story. Okay, uh, so Jesus and the disciples are climbing. Uh, they've just climbed to the Mount of Olives. That's, uh, and they were in Jericho. Okay, so Jericho's here. Mount of Olives is here. It's 2,600 feet. Okay, they had just climbed 2,600 feet. Now, if you're wondering how far that is, that's like climbing the Stantec Tower three times. So they're probably tired after this hike. They had gotten to this place. It wasn't just a place that was aptly named the Mount of Olives because it had a lot of olive trees on it. That's not just what it was, but it actually was a place with a lot of historical significance. Uh, for example, Solomon, uh, he had mistakenly put up a lot of false idols for his foreign wives to worship on the Mount of Olives. Uh, Ezekiel witnessed God and, and had an experience the glory of God on the Mount of Olives. Jesus, when he was looking over Jerusalem, because you would look over Jerusalem, you were about 300 feet over Jerusalem, taller than Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. Jesus was there and he wept over Jerusalem there. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, this is where it happened. Okay, so this is the historical significance. This is where we're at right now in the story. Let's keep reading. He sent two of his, Jesus sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here right away. So they went and found a colt outside in the street tied by a door. They untied it and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They answered them just as Jesus had said, so they let them go. So just to pause uh, here one more time, uh, we read that there's a colt, which is a young horse, uh, but in two of the other gospels, we actually read that it was a donkey. Okay, so that's why you're probably like, was it a donkey, was it a colt? So it's, it's a donkey. Uh, it's just more specific in both Matthew and John. Okay, uh, verse seven. They brought the colt or the donkey to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and he sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And he went into Jerusalem and into the temple and after looking around at everything since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Now, the fact that this story is in all four of the Gospels shows us how significant of a story this is. Now, like I said earlier, you can have as many different perspectives as there are people in the room. And there are three perspectives that we see in this text. The disciples, the religious leaders, and Jesus. So let's start with the perspective of the disciples. What did the disciples see? What were they thinking when all of this happened? Well, here's the first one. They saw this politically. 
The disciples saw this politically. Now I recognize that there are some of you here right now who have just, you're, you're, just, you're feeling a little uneasy because I, 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 I said the P word in church, right? Politics. And, and you're like, ah, Daniel, you gotta be careful. Like politics, you shouldn't, you shouldn't talk about politics in the church because politics are so divisive. Politics are so, they're such a hot topic and, and we have a rule at home. We don't talk about politics. Why are you talking about politics here? There should be a separation of church and state and all this stuff. And I recognize that some of you might be thinking that right now. Um, and you know what, at Beulah, we'll never endorse one party or candidate over another. But to never talk about politics would actually be ignoring actually be ignoring and dismissing the fact that Jesus and his disciples were actually political. Jesus is Lord. Have you heard that statement before? Or the disciples saying Jesus is king. I know today we hear these statements and we're like, yeah, Jesus is Lord or Jesus is king. And we think that these are spiritual statements. But for the disciples at that time, those were political statements. Because to say Jesus is king was simultaneously to say Caesar isn't. And the disciples knew that. And when they saw Jesus approaching Jerusalem in a royal procession, this is what they were waiting for for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, hundreds of years, the Israelites were under oppression, foreign rule and oppression. And they were waiting for the day that their Messiah would come, waiting for the day that the Messiah would rescue them from foreign rule and oppression. And here in this story right now, in verse 9, when the disciples cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, when they say these words, Hosanna, let's take a look. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When they were saying these words, these weren't just lyrics to a song. They were saying something that had messianic significance. Hosanna had messianic implications. That phrase, the coming kingdom of our father David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, messianic. The coming kingdom of our father David, that phrase, the coming kingdom of our father David, was, would have, for everyone hearing that phrase, they would have thought, oh yes, remember when David was king? Remember when we weren't under foreign rule and oppression? Yes, we need that day again. Wait, is that day now? Is that what's happening right now? And then in John, uh, you know, Mark's hearing some people say other things. John, take a look at this verse in John 12. We read, Hosanna, blessed are you who comes in the name of the, uh, of the Lord. And then take a look at what he heard people say. The king of Israel. The king of Israel. In this procession toward Jerusalem, The disciples are actively saying, Caesar isn't king, Jesus is. And that was heavily political. And here's what's interesting about all this. When Jesus talked about his purpose, when he talked about his role in life and and what he came to do, and, and when he was talking about his kingdom, it's really interesting. Jesus never talked about his kingdom as being the kingdom of David. 
So where did the disciples get this from? Take a look, Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come here. Jesus is saying this. And in Mark 9, 1, then he said, truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. So in Mark 11, the disciples are confused, right? They think that the purpose of the Messiah is to restore the kingdom of David and be the king of Israel. That's what the disciples are seeing right now. That's what they're envisioning and imagining. They don't recognize that the Messiah says, and Jesus says, that his kingdom is not of this world. Take a look at what Jesus said to Pilate, John 18, 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Remember that word, fight. We're going to return to it. So that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. The disciples thought that Jesus was going to bring about political freedom. But Jesus, he was actually concerned with something much broader and much more important than that. Spiritual freedom. This is like one of the differences between Muslims and Christians. Just take a look at how Mark Dever, the author and pastor, writes about this in his book. In no other manner are the differences between Muslims and Christians more sharply contrasted than in the difference between the characters and legacies of their prophets. Perhaps the contrast is best symbolized by the way Muhammad entered Mecca and Jesus entered Jerusalem. Muhammad rode into Mecca on a war horse surrounded by 400 mounted men, not mountain men, mounted men, uh, and 10,000 foot soldiers. Those who greeted him were absorbed into his movement. Those who resisted him were vanquished, killed, or enslaved. Talk about fighting, right? People of the day, the disciples thought that the Messiah would come like this, with an army and with a fight. That's how Muhammad came. He came and then he conquered Mecca, took control as its new religious, political, and military leader. Today in the Tepkapi Palace in Istanbul, Turkey, Muhammad's purported sword is proudly on display. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, accompanied by his 12 disciples. He was welcomed and greeted by people waving palm fronds, a, a traditional sign of peace. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because the Jews mistook him for an earthly secular king who was going to free him from the yoke of Rome. That's what they thought was going to happen. Whereas Jesus came to establish a much different heavenly kingdom. Jesus came by invitation and not by force. So the disciples saw all of this through a political lens. The religious leaders in our second point we'll see saw this as a threat. Now in Jesus' day, the religious leaders, they were in charge. They weren't politically in charge, but they were in charge. In other words, if the, Rome, Roman, if the Romans wanted to do something, if they wanted to bring about change, then they couldn't just do it. Because people would revolt and they'd get lots of angry letters and different things coming to their door and be like, how can you do this? How can you do that? So what Rome knew is that they needed to work with the major stakeholders of the day. Who are the religious leaders? 
So the religious leaders knew that though they didn't have political authority, they had cultural authority. So, so when Jesus did what he did in the temple, when he did what he did in the temple, oh my goodness, like the religious leaders, they were already upset with the way that Jesus was meddling with their work. That Jesus was upsetting their status quo. The religious leaders were upset with the way that Jesus was stealing followers away from him. He wasn't. People were actively choosing by their own volition and will to follow Jesus. But the religious leaders didn't see it that way. They were like, oh man, that person went too? That one too? Wait, he? She's not following Jesus? And that family? They were nervous. So when Jesus did what he did in the temple, this is like the last straw. They went from wanting to, uh, they, they went from watching him to wanting to kill him. Take a look at this, Mark chapter 11, verse 15. They came to Jerusalem and he, and he went into the temple and began to throw out, this is Jesus, throw out those buying and selling. Jesus he overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of thieves. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Now, do you see how the religious leaders saw this as a threat or how they could have seen this as a threat to their establishment? I'm not sure you notice it, if you notice this, but, but Jesus didn't do what he did here because he was like, man, y'all need to follow me instead of the temple leaders. That's, that's, not, that's not what he was doing here. That's not why he did what he did here. Now, here's something important to understand, two things as before we continue on. Uh, the first thing is, if anyone wanted to go to the temple and worship, uh, they needed to do two things. Number one, they needed to exchange their currency into the temple currency to pay the temple tax. And then two, they had to, they had to bring an animal that was an acceptable sacrifice. Now, it wasn't a subjective acceptable sacrifice. Like there are lots of criteria and rules that, that most people didn't know. Uh, if, if you knew what those criteria were, I'm sure you could have brought an animal from home, you know, and, and, and brought it with you. But, but if you did that, then yeah, number one, you would have had to know all the different criteria that you had to pass. And number two, you would have risked being robbed. You would have risked uh, that animal being hurt and then not meeting all the criteria and sacrifice. So basically, most people brought money to pay the temple tax, to exchange their money, and then to buy an animal that was acceptable for sacrifice. Okay, so that's what was normal in that day. So if that's what was normal, I mean, think about it, right? It would have been, for the religious leaders, it would have been expected and, and reasonable for them to provide a way to have people's money be exchanged and to buy an animal, right? I mean, like you think about it, the religious leader, it, it, it is perfectly acceptable and expected that they would provide kind of quote unquote services like that. But that's not what Jesus got upset about. What Jesus got upset about was the fact that the religious leaders brought all of this into the temple 
And they were complicit or they helped create a system of bribery, extortion, and greed. That's why Jesus got upset here. I mean, the religious leaders could have exchanged, uh, they could have have done currency exchange for a minimal fee or for free, right? To, to, To make sure that there weren't any barriers for people to worship. They could have offered... Um, they, they could have offered to sell these animals just outside or, 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 or here's the thing, they could have offered to sell these animals at normal price, but it was Passover, Passover was going on and a lot of people were going into the city at the time. So, so during Passover, the religious leaders would often uh, jack up the price of the animals, actually 16 times and you thought groceries were expensive. <laughs> They would increase the price of the animal 16 times during this season. Now, was this because the religious leaders were, were you know, they had a bad year and, and they were charging rent and, and they, they had to kind of increase the prices to pay their bills like that? Like, you think, you think that's, that's what was happening? Maybe, maybe. But then you and jack up the price 16 times, if that was the case, especially if they were responsible and it was their role to welcome people to worship. I mean, this wasn't welcoming people to worship. This was causing people to turn away and put up all these barriers when in fact they were the ones who were, to, who were supposed to help people learn how to worship and, and, and bring down the barriers so why? Right? Why were the religious leaders doing what they did? Why did they create this system? Well, regardless of why, uh, this is what they essentially ended up doing. They ended up turning a house of prayer into a den of thieves. They ended up turning this place of worship where Everyone was to come and be able to and, and open and welcome to come into a, an exclusive place for people who had money. And in fact, in, in, in Genesis 12, the Jews weren't supposed to hold the blessing to themselves. They were actually supposed to be a blessing to the nations. But by doing all this, they, they ended up excluding the nations instead of blessing and welcoming them. So that's why Jesus did what he did in the temple. <laughs> he wasn't just having a bad day, right? He wasn't just having a bad morning where, you know, the disciples were particularly annoying that day. And, you know, they were, they were weak and, and, and didn't have a lot of faith. So he didn't want to take it out on them. But they, they took it out on everyone, on the religious leaders. And they're like, oh, take theirs, religious leaders. And, and they were, he was angry at them. But really he was angry at the disciples. No, that's not what, that's not what happened. In the Bible, it says you can be angry. Being angry is not a sin. It says be angry and do not sin. There's a reason Jesus was angry. And we see why. He's trying to purify the temple. His heart was broken for the way that this place that was supposed to be a house of prayer had turned into a den of thieves. So if, the, so if the disciples saw this whole situation as a, you know, as a polit- through a political lens, and the religious leaders saw this whole thing through, uh, through, 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 you know, as a threat, then how did Jesus see this? Well, that's our third point. Jesus saw this as fulfillment. 
Jesus saw everything happening here as a fulfillment of a prophecy about him that he was going to be, that he is the Messiah, the King, and the Savior of the world. And he wanted everyone to know about it. In fact, when you look at Mark 11, it's clear that he wanted to be noticed. I mean, there, there are times in Jesus' life when he didn't want to be noticed. Uh, maybe you've come across passages like that where Jesus heals someone and then he says, don't tell anyone. And you're like, why don't you want anyone to know? Right? Like, but it's just like, okay, that's weird. And then, and then other times, okay, do this. Okay, but don't say anything to anyone. And then they end up doing it anyway and, and different things result. But here in this passage, did you notice? Jesus didn't say don't tell anyone. He wanted to be noticed. Now, here's how we know this, okay? Um, when Jesus and his disciples were approaching Jerusalem, they weren't the only ones. Now, it's not like, it's not like you know, you, you try to go on vacation in off-season, maybe when the kids are in school so the flights are cheaper and, and there's not as many crowds. Like, it's not what Jesus and his disciples were doing. Like, they weren't trying to go to Disney World, you know, in the off-season, they went during spring break. <laughs> they went when everyone else was going. How do we know that? Because it was Passover. So many people from all over were piling into Jerusalem. That's why, the, you know, the animals were 16 times the price. And there's there all this, all these people were funneling into Jerusalem. But here's the thing. You know, typically if you're going a long distance, if you have the means, you might have a donkey or a horse or, or ride on a, you know, caravan or something like that. But during Passover, there's record that shows that um, you're actually supposed to go to Jerusalem on foot. Now, other times of the year, you could go on a horse or a donkey, but, but during Passover, you're supposed to go on foot. So everyone is going to Jerusalem on foot. And then Jesus, who actually in the Gospels, you never ever hear about him going on the back of a donkey or a horse. I don't know if he's afraid of animals or, you know, what it is, but like he just, he just always walks. But then in this one circumstance when he was supposed to walk, he went on the back of a donkey. Like talk about wanting to stand out and be noticed, right? And if that's not enough, uh, what are the disciples doing all around him? What are people doing all around him? They're not just saying, hey y'all, Jesus is here. Pay attention. They're saying, Hosanna. Hosanna, a word that people didn't say because when you said Hosanna, it wasn't just like, hey, how are you doing? No, this word was filled with messianic significance. By saying this word, you were conjuring up cultural memories and prayers for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of being under oppression and being under enslavement from foreign rule. And by saying Hosanna, you were like, the day has come, our rescuer is here, and we don't need to live under oppression anymore. We can move into freedom. That's what people would have thought when they heard the word Hosanna. Talk about wanting to be noticed, right? Well, Jesus... He knew that what he was doing wasn't political. It wasn't a threat. He knew he was actually just fulfilling prophecies about him. Zechariah 9.9, 9, this is one of them from the Old Testament. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
We see this prophecy coming to fulfillment, but not only that, but, and that wasn't the only prophecy that was being fulfilled, but there's another prophecy from the Old Testament that, that, that said the coming Messiah would purify the temple's worship. Well, that's what Jesus did when he was moved, you know, saying, hey, this is supposed to be a, a house of prayer, right? Not a den of thieves. The Messiah was supposed to do that, and, and, and Jesus fulfilled that. Uh, there's another prophecy that, that the Messiah was going to rid the temple of traitors, not like, you know, you backstab me, you're a traitor. Not like that kind of traitor, but like the exchanging sort of traitor. And Jesus did that. He rid the temple of the traitors. And then there's a prophecy that the Messiah was going to replace the temple. Well, Jesus did that when he died and when he was resurrected. He became the temple for all people to access freely. And then I love how one commentator pointed out this. Uh, in the Old Testament, there is this thing called the Ark of the Covenant that kind of symbolized the presence of God. Uh, and, and in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant needed an unyoked carrier. And in the same way, the true Ark of the Covenant, because the old Ark of the Covenant was actually, you know, was representing the presence of God. It actually pointed to Jesus, the true Ark of the Covenant. So the old Ark of the Covenant needed an unyoked carrier, but the true Ark of the Covenant, Jesus, when he's approaching Jerusalem, he was on an unridden animal. See that foreshadowing? So when you see what's going on here, I'm curious, what do you see going on? Uh, we just walked through the fact that the disciples saw things politically and, and the religious leaders saw this as a threat and, and Jesus saw this as fulfillment. And, and do you remember earlier on I said, if there, there, there's many different perspectives as there are people in the room, so I'm curious, as we walk through this story and heard about the background and all this, I'm curious what came to mind. Uh, a few weeks ago, I walked through different ways that we can read the Bible and, and different ways that we can study it. And, and what I want to uh, do with you right now is introduce you to a, a different way that we can read the Bible. It's an immersive way to read the scripture, a, a, a reflective, a contemplative way to do it that, that you can do with this passage, you can do with any passage in the scripture. Uh, it's just, it's not the way, it's, it's just one way, another way to read the scriptures and spend time with God. Uh, and this is actually, it's not new to me, I, I didn't come up with it. This is, this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, like literally hundreds, 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 hundreds of years old. Christians have been doing it since the sixth century. Uh, and what I want to do with you is I want to introduce this to you. Uh, some of you I, I recognize do know how to read the Bible like this, but, but I want to do this. Actually, I don't want to just talk about it. I want to actually do this with you and read the passage with you in this way. Okay? Uh, so I want to invite you to close your eyes. Now, if, if some of you are a little bit uncomfortable, don't worry. Don't worry. I mean, no one's going to steal your purse. It's fine. Uh, if you're worried, you know, hold on to it. But no one's going to take it. Uh, close your eyes. And I just, want, I just want you to breathe in and breathe out. Not a shallow breath, but a, but a deep breath from your gut. A long one. Right, just, just do these breaths inside and out, okay? And I want you to, to be present here right now. Maybe feel the chair, how, how the chair feels underneath you. Perhaps place your feet on the ground, both of them, to just feel yourself grounded. Breathe in, breathe out. 
or maybe you want to put your back on the chair. Whatever you do, just get comfortable. Breathe in, breathe out. And I want you to not be somewhere else, not think about something else, but just be present as I read the scripture. Imagine yourself in the story. Imagine yourself here, this happening real time, that you're one of the characters as I read. Okay, so keep your eyes closed and I'm going to read this. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here right away. So they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied by a door. They untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? They answered them just as Jesus had said, so they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road, and and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. He went into Jerusalem and into the temple. After looking around at everything since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. You can open your eyes. I'm curious, as I, as I read this, where did you place yourself in this story? Maybe you were on the Mount of Olives, underneath an olive tree, getting some shade, and, and you saw this group of people, Jesus and his disciples, coming up, and you're like, what's going on? Maybe you were one of the disciples that got sent out to look for this cult, <laughs> and you're like, what is Jesus talking about? How, are we gonna, how is a person going to be okay with us just taking the animal? He didn't give us any money, did he? Maybe you were the owner of the cult. Uh, maybe you were one of the people shouting out Hosanna. Maybe you were one of the people who heard other people shouting out Hosanna. Maybe you thought you were self, maybe you, thought, maybe, maybe you saw yourself as the cult, as the donkey. And you were like, wow, <laughs> like everyone loves me. Everyone's cheering for me. Who did you see yourself as? I want you to hold on to that. We're going to spend some time in response by singing out these words, Hosanna. And as we prepare to sing these words, Hosanna, I want you to reflect on who God, of, who God might have shown you to be or where you were placed in the story. I want you to reflect on that and, and maybe the significance of why. But as we sing out this word, Hosanna, it's, it's interesting because this isn't a word that we use that often, right? It, it means, Lord, save us. It's from Psalm 118. Lord, save us. That's what it means. But, but, but for the people in that day, what that word meant was kind of like, you know, if you hear the French say, vive la France, right? Or they have like their vivas or, or in the Olympics, Americans go, USA, 
USA, right? Canadians, we don't, I wish we had something like that, but Canada, Canada, it doesn't really work. Uh, maple leaf, I don't know what it is. Beaver, no, not the maple leaves. No. <laughs> I love you, Jamie. I don't like the maple leaves. Um, but when we hear this word Hosanna, that's, that's kind of what it means. It's, it's this word that, that it's, this, it's, this, it's, this, it's this word that means loyalty. Hosanna. It's this word that means welcome. Hosanna, it's this word that means, uh, that, that's, that's both prayer and praise. That's what this word means. Lord, save us. Hosanna, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. Hosanna, may you bring about restoration in my broken marriage. Hosanna, may you bring about wholeness in my loneliness. Hosanna. May you turn the people who are around me, who are living a self-destructive life, may you turn them to you. Hosanna, save. Hosanna, rescue. Hosanna, redeem. That's what this word means. So when we sing this song, when we say this word, let's not imagine Jesus approaching Jerusalem, because he already did that. He's already king. He's already savior. He died and he was resurrected. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Don't imagine him going into Jerusalem. Imagine him on the back of a donkey riding into this place here. Riding into your home. Riding into your relationship that you're just holding on to by a string. Riding into your workplace, riding into your sleepless nights. Riding into your cry for freedom, riding into your school. Imagine Jesus riding into there and then sing out, Hosanna, Jesus, you're welcome here. Hosanna, save, Hosanna rescue. Thanks for listening and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.